0: This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on.
1: So last week on the podcast, we talked about a talent agency working specifically with deaf and disabled creators. This week, I'm going even further into the space of marginalized creators by speaking with Annalise Campbell. Annalise is a founder of CFG, an influencer marketing agency geared toward BIPOC creators. I'm also chatting with Monica Velos, a lifestyle and beauty creator under CFG management. I absolutely love this conversation. I mean, maybe because I'm a BIPOC creator myself, but we covered everything from how creators of color should view their work to holding brands accountable for the work that still needs to be done. This is Creative Control. I'm your host, Casey Feiney. Each week, I'll be unpacking the driving forces and people shaping the creator economy and what it all means for its future. Annalise and Monica, thank you so much for joining me. I kind of want to start with you, Annalise. What were you seeing or maybe not seeing in the creator economy that made you want to start your influencer marketing company, CFG? Like, what, what set all of this in motion, really?
0: I think for me, it was a couple of things, but I'll quickly backtrack and just give some context to my corporate experience. So I was mostly on the agency side for most of my career, working in the consumer space, mostly focused on um, lifestyle products. And I think there were a few instances where I kind of saw the industry shifting, but brands not really cooperating in the same way. Right. And so I remember very clearly, like when brands used to be like, okay, like, how do we work with influencers? What kind of strategy do we need to deploy? Like, how can this be a fully kind of viable marketing option for us? So I was on the forefront of those conversations with my clients and and kind of helped push them forward and understand how to, you know, implement strategy and, and be really thoughtful with how they work with influencers. And after I crossed that hurdle, then I was like, okay, well, we seem to be working with the same white women everywhere we go. And that's part of the problem. And that conversation went a little bit differently in my career. Like some of my clients were really open and understanding. And then some of them were like, yeah, you know, we're not ready for that yet. Or we don't feel like they fit our aesthetic or they don't feel super brand friendly. And I was like, "Mm, that's a little like, Racist,
1: just a little
0: and problematic, <laughs> just a little. Because <laughs> I still wanted to keep my job; like I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be fired. But I was like, um, you shouldn't say that. That's problematic. So I think that was when the the seed kind of got planted a little bit. But I definitely wasn't anywhere in the space where I was like, oh, I want to start an agency. And also, to be frank, like there were about maybe four or five major influencer agencies at the time, and none of them were really like prioritizing diversity. So I couldn't really map out that space for myself. I just knew that in the role that I was in and managing all of these campaigns for brands, like I wanted to help push diversity, inclusion, and equity forward in the seat that I was in. And then I shifted a little bit in my career and went on to prestige beauty. And when I got into the beauty sector, I was like, okay, there's a lot of issues here that we need to unpack. And I would see, in both roles really, I got to see kind of the discrepancy in pay, what brands were willing to pay, what creators were charging, who had management, who didn't have management. Like I got to see that discrepancy right in my inbox. And I could see the impact that creators who had all of these resources, like I could see that direct impact in how they managed their business, how they worked, how many repeat business opportunities they got. Like it was clear as day in my inbox. And after that, I was like, okay, Somebody needs to create something. And at this point, I didn't even know if it was going to be me. I was just like, somebody needs to do something to help creators of color get those resources, but also on the brand side, like help brands see the value that they bring to the table. And I had some more time. I, I moved to Texas and I had more time, you know, Texas is a little bit more lax than New York City agency day to day. And I started freelancing and I, I was freelancing with an influencer and just like helping her on the side. Um, and just the impact I was able to have on her life and her business in the short couple of months I was freelancing with her, I was like, okay, I, I think you should start this for yourself and, and you know, just expand this to help as many creators of color as you possibly can. So thus CFG was born. Um, we were founded in November of 2019. So we're about to be on our third year.
1: That's amazing, and specifically, as you mentioned, you know, you have this background in in the beauty space, and you're seeing the discrepancy in pay, and just like the the influencers that they're really working with. And I know, Monica, you've had your YouTube channel for nine years now, and you've been consistently doing like, yeah, it's just it's crazy because like... I feel
2: like I just started. It always feels like that.
1: listen, and you look the same nine years ago. I'll say that, man. Like, just <laughs> you're so
2: nice.
1: <laughs> Give me a sense of like the general landscape for you back then, not only as just a creator, but a creator of color as well? Like, what what was it like for you in the beginning of your career on YouTube?
2: It's so crazy because a lot of times, you know, people see your success and they're like, oh my gosh, like, I've been following for years. You're like an OG. And I'm like, what? I feel like I just got here. Like, I feel like I'm constantly learning and shifting. But I will say when I first started, what really set me off, it wasn't even something intentional. I feel like the way my God works. He just kind of like pushes me in a direction where I'm like, this is what I was supposed to do. I just wanted to get cute. (laughs) But now I'm supposed to be talking about my ethnicity, my race. Like I didn't even know that that was something that there was such a lack of within the YouTube space. Um, And I always go back to the tags. Back in the day, YouTube was a community. I believe it still is. There's just still some little things that are different now in regards to just lifestyle. But in regards to beauty, there was a community of like, tags and I remember it was like the Latina tag and I decided to hop on that tag because I just thought it was absolutely appropriate for me my entire family does not <laughs> speak English um so I was like oh my gosh this is so cool let me jump on this tag and I was getting predominantly 99.9 9. was all positivity but there was a few people who were so like they just were very confused at the idea that a black woman could be Dominican and I was just like wait I' oh never seen God. this before. Like this is so. I'm from Bushwick. Like this is right. like this is regular. Like what is, what's going on here? Um, and I really got into it and I said, you know what? And then as I as I continue to show more of myself, people were just starting to get used to the idea of like, okay, not only am I going to learn beauty, I'm also going to learn some Spanish too. And I always went into YouTube or into any platform as not an expert. I am a homegirl. Okay, I'm the girl from down the block. Like, don't look at me as someone who has all the answers. We just going we're going the I finesse this. I really believe in the power of <laughs> figuring it out. That's what kind of differentiated me from a lot of different influencers. And never did I think, what am I going to go into this space and be different as? I just said, I'm just going to be me because clearly, y'all not used to seeing someone who looks like me and speaks my, like my language, who's, who's Spanglish, who has, you know, family coming on board. We're talking Spanish, we're showing culture. And it was so refreshing that when I got into beauty and that became my full time job, ironically speaking, it was only in 2018 when this became full time. So for me, I hear nine years, but I've only been full time t- since 2018. I've been hustling. Of course. Since, <laughs> I don't know, what's that? 2010. A <laughs> debt to live off of? Wow. 2018 was when things really picked up for me. And I was just, and it felt like it happened so quickly, but I think about, you know doing videos in my I, I was an executive assistant at a company at Scholastic and I remember thinking like I had like a Hannah Montana lifestyle like I would go in as an executive <laughs> assistant and like you know my outfit clean switch over go to an event come back I thought I wanted to be a talk show host I went to the e news competition I was determined I said this is not my for now I'm just doing this so I could pay my bills stack up my bread and before you knew it I was in Los Angeles figuring it out. And I've never looked back ever since, but me differentiating myself so early in the game and not trying to make it a living, not trying to go viral, not trying to, you know, like giving myself a level of longevity is what continued my success, which I think is the issues that are happening now where people are just looking for a quick little rise and not something that's going to give them something long-term.
1: And at least I mean like what are you looking for in a roster of talent? Like so when did when did you link up with Monica and what did you see in her approach to her content to you know her personality like what spoke to you to make you say like oh I would love to have her?
0: I'll start with kind of what we look for for our roster. I think for us to Monica's point like it is about longevity, but I think it's also about people who are in a place where they actually need management, because I think like when you talk about the creator economy, it's humongous, it's growing, there's so much opportunity. But I think people often make the mistake of saying like, Oh, I went viral. Now I need management, Mm. or I am starting to get approached by brands, I automatically need representation. And I think there is an element of Oh, it's the best way to say it. There's an element of kind of having your footing before you bring on a management team. And unfortunately, like I say this, we have a wait list of like 100 plus creators. I'm like, we can't work with all of you guys, right? But like, what we can do is help share and disseminate information that might be helpful for you guys to at least get your footing and then be in a position maybe like a year from now when you've grown a little bit more where you can say, yeah, like you'd be a great fit. So I think for us, we're looking for longevity. We're looking for diversity. That's uh, like our whole entire roster is diverse, obviously. But we're also looking for presence on multiple platforms. Like, do you have a point of view that is strong and well-informed? And are you doing it for the right reasons? Mm -hmm. Because that's a really big thing. Like, we're so invested in our client's success that we can't be with people who are just like, oh, I just want to make a quick buck and be out. Like, I don't care about integrity. I don't care about the brands that I work with. Like, I don't care. That just doesn't align with us as an agency like we're rooted in diversity equity inclusion and pushing the culture forward imagine if we were just assigned every tom dick and harry who's like oh i just want to get paid from mcdonald's even though i'm vegan like we would just it it would just never ever work for us um so that integrity part is really big i think for me, Monica knows this, my experience with her is a little bit more personal because I worked in the beauty space. And so when I was in beauty and I'd make talent recommendations, Monica was one of them because I, (laughs) yeah, because I was like, we need Afro-Latina representation. Like we need people to actually see, and I'm sure you know this, you're from New York. Like there's a big segment of New York culture that is around Dominicans not acknowledging that they're black, not acknowledging their blackness and there, there's a huge community of people who behave that way. And so for Monica to be one of those people in the beauty space who was like very transparent about like, I'm Afro-Latina, this is my heritage, this is who I am, like take it or leave it, I think at the time was so refreshing. So that was my first entry point to Monica. I was like, listen, I now work in the beauty space, like these are people that I think we should work with and this is why, right? Um. So then from the management side, Monica and I started working about together, it was almost three months now. But I think what attracted me to Monica was just, again, that integrity, but then also that commitment. Because one of the things that happens when you've been on social for so long is some people kind of lose their touch. They're not as adaptable as they used to be when they first got started, or they don't maintain that same level of relevancy. And then here comes Monica, who in all intents and purposes, we'd be like, she's a YouTube like an OG YouTuber. And she's blown up on TikTok. She's still super relevant on Instagram. Like, and I was like, that's important because that tells us that you're thinking about your business in the long-term way, but also you're inviting new people to come along with you on that journey so that your business has that longevity. And I think that's really, really important. I mean, you can see Monica's amazing. She's fantastic. We love her. But for us, it was really like that emphasis on her integrity and then the longevity of her business. That was like an absolute no brainer. Like, we'd love to have you on board.
1: That's so sweet. (laughs) And Monica, I mean, what, what impact have you seen on your channel, on your business since linking up with CFG?
2: I always feel like if you feel like you've already learned everything you can from, you know, one place or a group of people, definitely push yourself to go somewhere else. No matter how comfortable you are. I never left, you know, another manage my other management company because it was a a money issue. The money has never been an issue. Right. But I feel like as a creator, you have to challenge yourself to be put in different spaces, in different rooms so you can learn. Like when I got into CFG and the information that was given to me, I've been in the game for what, nine years? I was Mm. blown away, okay? (laughs) I'm like, first of all, what? What are we talking about? What is this? And it's so refreshing. And it inspired me because it was doing even small things like holding me accountable. Like every Monday we would have a meeting and I'm like, yeah you said I was going to do a video you okay Monica you said you're going to do a video on Monday so what happened? Uh, yeah it's that accountability because she's right. So for me I'm just like so excited because again CFG allowed me to see this space in a way where I thought I've already figured it out and when I got in it was like I know
0: nothing. <laughs> <Right>.
2: <laughs> okay we I know nothing. I'm so inspired, and I'm just so ready to just like continue to push, you know, the envelope because they're looking at me like, oh, you're OG, and I'm like, no, I don't know much. Like I know enough, but just to have some more insightfulness on something else, a little bit more deeper, oh my gosh! And then to be able to give it to others and be like, y'all, this is the tea, y'all. Like I need to get it together. (laughs) This is. It's so helpful because we need to create a community of just knowledge, especially within the black community. Because a lot of us, we don't really have it. So when we do have it, I'm always down to be like, What you want to know?
1: Each one teach one. You know? (laughs)
2: Listen, you have to pay this forward. You have to. You have
1: to. We're going to hear more from Annalise and Monica after the break. This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home Internet. Find the plan that's right for you at Verizon.com. What? Have you found, Annalise, that like brands are looking for these days? Because I, you know, I remember when it used to just be strictly about how many followers you had, but that's <laughs> we that's sort of melted away. I mean, like now we have the rise of micro influencers or people influencers that may not have the millions and millions of followers are still getting major brand deals. And so, just overall, like, what are you seeing that brands are looking for in creators?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. I'd say it's moved well beyond like standard vanity metrics at this point, where they're focused more on storytelling, authenticity, integrity. I also think you just have to kind of think about the ecosystem in which we operate in the sense that, you know, there is a rising consumer group who has now dollars to spend in the same way. And they're way more tuned in than I think millennials were when we were the kind of the shift was happening from boomers to millennials becoming the majority consumer spend. And so I think brands are painfully aware and some of them are learning this lesson the hard way that integrity and authenticity is key and consumers can kind of see right through something that doesn't feel like a good fit. So I think brands are definitely looking for creators who have relevancy with their audience can bring a story or concept to life. And have that trust and one-to-one with their audience because I think without that, it's gonna fall really flat. And I think to Monica's point, piggybacking off of what she said earlier, like I always tell people at the end of the day, like CFG is that we're marketers first. Like we're not people who used to manage like actors and then started to shift into talent and creators. Like our bread and butter is marketing. So that's the way that we approach it, and that's how we try to educate our talent. Because I'm like, you guys need to understand the role you play in this billion dollar industry whereas i think so much of what has happened in the past is you know it's been kind of a free for all and nobody really talks about how influencers are actually moving marketing forward like they talk about the creator economy but we don't talk about how it plays in the entire marketing ecosystem so for us it's always about that education to make sure our clients understand like why we charge what we charge why we push back on certain things why we negotiate certain things the way that we do why we'll push for certain brands and not others like why we might say this is a bad idea, like, don't go forward with that. Or like, because they they need to understand like how they actually play into this space and what their impact is, what their ROI looks like, what their equity is. Um, And I feel like so many times that part of the conversation gets skipped. People just want to talk about dollar and cents, which is fine. But at the end of the day, some CMO somewhere in some seat is going to look back at their influencer programming for the year and going to say, okay, that was a success. That wasn't a success. And I want my clients to be able to understand like why you are viewed as a success and why you could be potentially not viewed as a success and understand that.
1: Oh, that's so important. And I'm curious. I mean, this is really for both of you. I know CFG launched, you know, a year before 2020, you know, like or a couple of months, honestly, before the events of 2020, specifically, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> when there was this reawakening that there was a thing <laughs> called systemic racism <laughs> following the murder of George Floyd, which is just wild because it took that event for people to be like oh wow systemic racism is is truly a thing and we saw so many brands coming out with you know pledges making pledges for more inclusivity and their campaigns and their companies and so from both your perspectives two years later do you think that these brands have kept the same energy in working with more diverse hmm. cre oh <laughs> <leave> that, <laughs> that Snicker did not go unnoticed. <laughs> oh, let's let's, sorry, start sorry, sorry. let's start with you. Let's start with you. The floor is yours. <laughs> oh man.
0: Yeah. So I mean, I definitely will give credit to some brands and some agencies and say that there was absolutely a concrete shift after 2020. And those brands know who they are and we love them. We work with them a ton and we're, we're honored to be with their partners because I think they just get it. But then I would say there was a level of what I would just consider like performative activism. And some people made a lot of promises and just didn't really keep them. I've always said like, no one's perfect in marketing. There is no marketer that has never made a mistake. It's just not physically possible, right? But I think what brands who maybe have dwindled off a little bit need to understand is that consumers still remember that like there is not we didn't forget like we didn't we didn't forget that you put a black square on Instagram and now you look at your page and it's all white people again like we didn't we didn't forget that so I think brands do have to just have a kind of reckoning moment where they say like oh yeah we messed up like we didn't get it right this time here's what we're doing differently here's how we're gonna kind of move forward so it's hard to say like I will say there has been a A tangible, like clear impact. And I remember when that was all kind of happening, also it was coupled with the pandemic. Like I had a lot of creators who were like, least, are we going to be okay? Like, are we going to be like, what's going to happen? Right. Um, and I was like, no, we're going to, we're going to be fine. And what ended up happening was we were more than fine. Like brands were relying on creators in different ways because they couldn't go into studios. They couldn't shoot the way that they normally did. Like it was, it was an entirely different landscape. And then of course there was a huge demand for creators of color. And I, told my creators of color, like, don't feel like you have to take this just because they're handing it out now. Like, just because they're giving you basically their version of a, oh, we're so sorry, slap on the wrist, like, here's $10,000. Don't think you have to take that if you feel like that's going to compromise your integrity. Like, because at the end of the day, like, that's going to be worse on you than on them. And I remember having some difficult conversations with some brands of being like, my client wears a wig. She's not going to use this product on her natural hair because her audience is going to be like, this is fake like we've never seen her natural hair before her hair is always in protective styles why would she use this this way right now and i and i've had to kind of push back on a lot of brands and say like this doesn't work for this demographic and you need to trust them and let them kind of lean into what they know will work for their audience and if you're not going to then we can walk away and i think it's hard when you have an environment where black creators and creators of color have been so underprioritized. when the floodgates open people feel like oh my god i, I can't say no like how dare I? Like, I'm finally getting these opportunities, but it's like, think about what you want for the long term. Like, are these the actual brands you want to be aligned with, or are you just taking it because the opportunity is available? Um, and so I think that element of forward thinking helped our creators a lot because I was like, listen, I know, you know it sounds crazy. I know your email is blown off the hook, and everybody's like, oh, wow, black people exist.
1: <laughs> Don't fall
0: for it. <laughs> like, oh. Take a second because that's the
1: reality of what it was, right? So, Monica, to that point, I mean, how was it for you as a creator going through this surge of people realizing that, oh, black creators are here and they actually, you know, like we need their point of view? Like, how was that for you?
2: It was one of my most successful years, we can just say that. And it was ironic too because I'm like, no, I've been working, but like I said, full time 2018, okay. So for me, I'm like, I'm, I'm doing okay. Like, I just moved to LA in 2018. I'm, things are great. That happened. I was like, what? And to Annalise's point, I was one of those many Black creators where we're like, we can't say no. They're throwing thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars at you. And you're like... Oh my gosh! Will this will this stop mm-hmm. once this is like over? Like you know, you're doing interviews about how do you feel? Oh you know, Lord. creating, and then you're. I'm like, what do you mean? How do I feel? Like I I, I don't know how to feel. Like this is my reality. This is just right. you guys are experiencing this for a pocket, but we deal with this every single day and we have to perform, you know, so it was, it was a really hard time for me as a creator too, because I'm being vocal about what's happening within, you know, our justice system. And then on top of that, I have to be applying makeup. Right. Okay. Monica Stalmuse originated because she wanted to be, not me saying she, child. I wanted to be a stylist. I thought that that's what I wanted to do. My brother's a photographer. I wanted to, you know, assist him, but I realized I wouldn't have a voice. And I think the beauty of being a content creator is you have, if you decide to, you do have a responsibility to use your platform to create awareness about what's happening. So I was, hell, I was doing uh, interviews with Telemundo, mm-hmm. you know, even in my broken Spanish, like, um, yeah, you know, Latinos may not know this is your problem, but it is. Okay. Like I, I, cause I wasn't seeing it enough. I would have conversations with my family. They, they only knew what was being marketed on, you know, Mundo or Univision. And it wasn't what we knew. It was what was being interpreted to them. So for me, I was starting to look at my colleagues like, you really going to apply a blush right now? Like, <laughs> I don't want to talk about this. Like, we have to. Um, but again, it was one of my most successful years because one thing about my page, it's never been about promoting, you know, a transformation. It's been about the mm. feeling. So, you know, when I think about how much money is invested into especially at the time black content creators it's insane you know a lot of times people can you know make fun of like oh influence i'm like you guys don't understand like i truly believe in my core like especially like black content creators we have the ability to shift we have the ability to make trends i mean the proof is in the pudding with just tiktok i mean most of our dances yep. <laughs> honey is coming from from us oh yeah, you know so it's just I, I have to take it personal, but I also do feel that I agree. And at least it's hard to say if brands are are consistent or not. But I will say I always would like I, I want to believe that there's still room for more. You know, I'm very vocal as well, uh, where if I see that there's a lack of representation, I will walk away from a bag. I will speak to the CEO. I will make sure that you're like, OK, you know, I I, I, would, I would ask to be removed from PR if I do not see that you're aligning yourself with. I don't need, it's not even about me making the money. If I don't see a brand that aligns with the demographic that I'm aligned with, and I'm not seeing money being distributed across just a minority group, I will not support the brand. And that's just for me. I won't go to the event. I will not even put it on my Instagram. Like, I just think it's so important for me. It's not everyone's responsibility, but for me, I don't care about the money. I care about knowing, okay, if you're not going to work like me with people who look like me, at least... I need to see that you're working with somebody who's within my scope. So if they don't follow me, they can follow someone else. How many people have millions of followers now not making no money? Yeah. Not like no. Mo- I'd be like, huh? It's, I'm blown away, especially on TikTok where I'm seeing the, like, there's like this interviewer who's asking people how much money we're making on TikTok. Some of these people have like 900,000 followers. They're making like a thousand dollars a video. And I'm just like, whoa- mm-hmm. you're still chasing a number and i think the and again going back to why i went to cfg it's no longer about your following it's about your longevity it's about your packaging how it's presented your media kit and the lack of knowledge within our community is it, it blows my mind so anytime i can I'm like look y'all Get, we got to get it right. Get that media kid looking cute. <laughs> you know, jizz it up. Y'all never jizzed right. up that resume? And <laughs> like what are we doing? You know, like, there's so much out there. Don't, the, like, you You. You have, there, there's so much to offer. But brands, uh, you, I see it from my point of view. I've been blessed to continue to work with brands. But then I see how many other Black content creators are not getting a bag. And that's when I get concerned. Because I work. But I see how other people work who are not working, you know, who are not making money off of that type of work. And and it's disappointing. But I have to believe that as long as I continue to be in these places and these platforms and continue these conversations, especially as such, brands can hear these things and say, okay, who are you talking about? Right. Here's a roster. (laughs) Okay, so (laughs) there's definitely room for improvement
1: this whole idea of influencers doing the work but not necessarily seeing the result. I mean, this is so common with creators of color. I mean, I remember when Jackie Aina, who of course is a very popular beauty YouTuber, she made a video last year talking about the algorithm and how people, even though she has millions of followers, there are still people saying, like, I don't see your videos in my feed. Like, I don't know what's going on. And we know that these companies don't relinquish that much information about how their algorithms work, but we do know that algorithms can have racial bias. And so how do you account for what creators can't control in that respect?
2: I'm going to talk about it in, in the point of view of like what it does for me mentally. I will not lie. When I first, when we first started, at least for me, when I started, my numbers were just like, wow, people love to sleep. Like Instagram back in the day was exciting. It was exhilarating. It was like moving, you growing. And again, I go back to the whole, you have to adapt. You know how and at least saying, you know, you have to learn how to continue to stay relevant. If you have an audience and I always tell people, if you have 10 people who are your ride or die, who will buy your product just stick to them. They will grow. They will tell your grandma. They will tell their cousins, I focus on what I can control. And what I can control is the quality of my content, my the conversations with my audience, making sure that my audience leaves with something tangible that they can take back with them. It's not a one-off scroll. Yeah, sure, that was cute. Something that makes them want to come back. I had to tell myself for a really long time, stop looking at the numbers. You know, although we know, ideally... Numbers matter. num that's what the first thing that they're asking for, right? Screenshot of your analytics. Ooh, this week you want to get a screenshot? <laughs> like, like, let me, let me let you know, like, and it's those things where you're just constantly like, oh my gosh, like, you know, especially with the platform such as Instagram. Like, I feel like if I don't post on there in a day, chow, great, mm-hmm. you know, dead <laughs> zone. Like I have to continue to be active. But once you let go and you just do your thing and you let your audience just I, I don't feel like I'm pressured to be present every single day. My audience knows me. So for content creators, if you're listening, focus on what you can control, your quality. I am so anal about how my stuff looks, okay? Like I will not, if a brand asks me, can it be done in 24 hours? I will nine times out of 10 say, absolutely not. Because I, I it has to live on my feed. I really, you know... Uh, embodied. No, it's insane to me. Like I will push back and at least I'm like, no, you have to, especially as a person of color, do not feel like you have to do everything when they say jump, you matter. They approached you. Your audience is going to stick beside you. If you need to take a week off to clear your head, take a week off. Your audience will come back. I know the algorithm can be tricky, but it, they'll it'll pick back up. One of my videos just went viral and people, I'm like, what the heck? People are like, I haven't seen your videos in years. <laughs> See, <laughs> And they follow me. And, and to me, I'm just like, oh my gosh, how the hell did that even happen? But I can't control those things. What I can control is my narrative, how I'm perceived, brand, how brands look at me. And I'm like, okay, this is what I still have to offer. I offer you a feeling. I'm offering you a lifestyle. I'm not just offering you a gimmick. This is not a performance. This is this is who I am. So when you focus on those things and quali- again, quality. And I'm not talking about just like vividly, what you can see, your quality. Like, if I can, I want to taste your content. I'm like, damn, I know she went in. I know they went in with this content. It's not something they just threw on there and they just hope it. No, it has to have something. It doesn't, I don't even care if it's your niche. Like, I just want it to be something that's you. It's organic. When I look at it, I'm like, that's Monica's content. I don't care if I saw it in any prop, that's her content. And when you focus on those things... (laughs) ask the algorithm okay the brands don't care about the algorithm they care about what are people going to your platform for for you the consistency child can go about this all like i know
1: you can (laughs) because
2: it can mentally mess us up as a creator when you put your hard work into something and it flops but when you have a group of people who are like you know what girl it was still fire don't even worry about it and you're proud of it forget the algorithm I love how this looks on my feet. Your
1: baby's in there. It's like, why is my mom all riled up right now? What's going on? <laughs> hey, let me kick her a little bit. Tell her calm down.
2: <laughs> Mental health is everything, and those algorithms and the numbers—they be messing yeah. with us. But we have to focus on the bigger picture. We have to.
1: And Annalise, I mean, so how do you look at this? Like, when you when you're managing of these, these creators and you're know, going out to brands, like there are those things that we can't control. And I've actually explored the state of algorithms in three episodes in this podcast. Cause I was like, I want to better understand like what these platforms are doing. And so how do you think about those things that these creators can't really control?
0: Again, my perspective is always from the perspective of a marketer. Right. And so I, my POV is like if brands wanted guaranteed performance they should go run paid search ads like that's what you should do you should run pay-per-click pay-per-result that'll be guaranteed you'll get whatever benchmark you set in the platform it'll only spend against that influencers don't work that way and algorithms don't work that way and so there is an element of conversations that we have with brands on behalf of our clients to say like hey this didn't do well this week for her like she her metrics just weren't the same like she'll happily repost it next week or reshare it or talk about it organically the following week but like at the end of the day like she's done the absolute best that she could do in this perspective and so there there is there is an element of just that level of transparency i'll be the first person to like like monica said like y'all want to screenshot my analytics this week like this week is not looking so good like you should tell brands that like there isn't you know your audience best like if you're if you're hearing your audience being like No one's seeing my stuff, like, don't volunteer to go live that week. And like tell your team, tell your manager, tell the brand, like, hey, like, I don't know what's going off my engagement this week, but it's not looking so great. Like, I'd rather post last week, like, or the following week, or whatever the case may be. Like, I do think I could like die on this hill. But there is an element of partnership that is so often missed in this industry that kills me because Mm. brands can't do it without influencers, and influencers can't do it without brands. So the sooner we all just have a kumbaya moment about that, like we'll be so much better off because I think brands need to like, just give that level of understanding and vice versa, like trust them. They know their audience the best. Right. And so to Monica's point, like I've had to talk a lot of creators who aren't as experienced and have not been in the game as long as Monica had, but I've had to talk them off some like pretty steep ledges that they're on just because of some, the way something flopped. I'm like, it's fine. Like, I promise you right. the people who saw it really liked it like do not let those numbers completely throw you off your game I know the reality of the situation brands are still looking at certain metrics they want to see like okay what does reach look like what does story views look like what percentage of your story your audience is viewing your stories like what's your click through rate like there are those metrics that they unequivocally want to see but my challenge to creators is always like If you don't think something is going to do well, tell me, because then I can get ahead of it and we can adjust. Like, if you're like, hey, Anlise, they're not going to go for this. This is not going to go over well with my audience. Tell us so that we can fix it before it gets to a point where a brand is saying, well, this didn't perform. Like, and I think right when I have those conversations with brands, they're always like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. Like, Mm. this is anecdotal, but yesterday... I had a conversation with a brand where a creator created something. She didn't love it. She was like, I do not feel good about the, like the quality of this. Like it, it feels mm. too commercial. Like my audience is not going to read well. And so she was like, let's give this asset to the brand for them to use on their channels. Like I'm happy to do that. And I'll create something new that I feel better about that I'll just post on my channel. And the brand was over the moon, like it. They were like, oh my God, mm. thank you so much. This is perfect. Like, we absolutely love this. She has full free reign to create whatever she wants for her channel. We'll you this on our brand marketing. And the content that she went live with did fantastic. And it's like, and that's why I think thinking about influencer marketing as a vehicle of marketing is really important because that understanding of like, oh, something might feel too commercial or something might read the wrong way, or this may come off wrong, or this may not do as well based on X, Y, and Z. Like that's marketing. That's like baseline marketing 101. And I think when those principles are applied to the creator economy, that's when people do the best.
1: That's what I was going to ask. I find find this so interesting because, you know, when you, as we were talking about campaigns may not performing as well as, you know, a, a creator may have hoped. The first thing I thought about was like the parallel in the film industry, like whenever there's like a black led uh, or a person of color led film and it doesn't do that well in the box office. And a lot of executives are like, well, this is why we don't fund these kinds of movies. And so when it comes to brands, I mean, are are you finding that they're understanding to things not working as well as they may have hoped? Or is it are you finding a sense of like, well, this is why we don't work with creators of color that often because you see it doesn't pay off.
0: Some brands get it and some brands don't. But the the crux of it is that in the simplest terms, if I thought about the fact that I've spent the past 10 years focusing on one audience segment, and now I'm finally focusing on another audience segment, you would think that you would say to yourself, how about we don't compare these two audience segments because they're not the same right like nobody running ads anywhere would be like who's targeting different audiences would ever be like oh yeah the gen z consumer over indexed on instagram story click-through rate and they had the strongest click-through rate and my boomer consumer didn't do anything on instagram so you would be like yeah <laughs> duh like of course not obviously right and so i think there needs to be an element of like adjusting KPIs when you are investing in an audience for the first time and prioritizing an audience for the first time because it, sometimes it's not fair. Like, I've had conversations on behalf of clients where literally a brand rep will be like, Well, we work with this girl every year and she does this. And I'm like, yeah, because you work with her every year. Like this is your first time speaking to this audience segment. Mm -hmm. You've never spent any time investing in this community. Like the likelihood from this one moment in time that you would get an immediate action is very low, especially knowing like we have stats that say it takes almost six touch points to get consumers to actually Mm. do something. And I'm sure that like has actually changed since they first came out with that stat. But it's like, if I spent my entire time making a brand that just spoke to Afro-Latina women in, the, in New York and then I was like, okay, I want to talk to the Afro-Latina woman in Miami, like, I would have to change up my approach. Because it's not the same. And so I think the sooner that brands understand that, the better off they'll be. And again, this goes back to my point about like creators being in the entire marketing funnel. If you're working with Monica and Monica speaking Spanglish and she does a great video and then her audience goes to click on your website and they don't see anybody that looks like Monica at all represented, like the likelihood that they will take action after that is slim so it's like are you putting creators of color in a position to succeed in your entire ecosystem or are you just throwing dollars at a problem and just saying okay let's see if this works because like everybody's doing this let's just try and hope for the best like that's not fair that's not fair to them at all and it's like almost stupid because it's like In any other aspect of marketing, everyone has audience segmentation. They have different audience groups. They have different personas. Like, everybody else does that. (laughs) So why in this situation where we're dealing with actual people who are so complex and have so much nuance to the communities that they serve, like, why would we not apply the same logic?
1: I wish I could tell you.
0: (laughs) You It doesn't make any sense. (laughs) I wish I could tell you. So... No, I, I feel I feel really, really, really strongly about. We this can one. tell. Like I, I feel like
1: <laughs> as you should though.
0: This one keeps me up at night because I'm like, guys, we have to be smarter. We have to be more intentional, yeah. and so it really grinds my gears when I will hear someone try to put down my creator's efforts in comparison to somebody that they've been over prioritizing this whole time like i'm like that's not fair like you're ex- you're comparing a cantaloupe to a skyscraper <laughs> like why that wh- doesn't make any sense <laughs> whatsoever the sooner brands understand that i think the better off they'll be to
1: kind of sum up everything we've been talking about you know i'd love to hear from both of you Of like when you think about every all the topics we've hit on like what do you see for the next chapter of the creator economy
0: yeah, Monica, go ahead. I, I spend a lot of time talking, so you you can talk about the future of the
2: creator economy. <laughs> yeah, no,
1: yeah, catch your breath, get some water, catch your breath.
2: <laughs> I I do see it continuing to expand. I I know that there's like a lot of talk, like, especially on TikTok, uh, about like there's like content creators are dying. You know, like I don't see that. I think that what's dying is the the love for content creation, which then can allow to you know allow you to create a, a living for yourself. And I think when people can stop going into this industry with the mindset, obviously you want to make ends meet. I think when you go into it with the love for doing content creation, everything else will flow. The quick little, you know, I do see a lot of like how to make money. Like literally, that's my feed. Like on TikTok, how to make money, how to do that, and I'm just like, dang. If I knew all of this when I first started. I think I would have been one overwhelmed, but I probably would have been broke as hell. You know, people are leaving their jobs because there's a lot of like this is this is the to-do. You know, you do all these bullet points, you're going to make money. I'm like, I've been in the game for almost 10 years. I just became full-time in 2018. Full-time. And people are leaving their like literally again, whatever's for you, but I just think it's bizarre how now the industry is kind of like making it feel like everyone can do this this is not glamorous. So when I think about the economy, I I am really hopeful that within the creative community, they realize that it's beyond just getting cute and doing a transition. There is a work ethic that has to be applied. Like I'm six months pregnant. You think once that contract is signed that they're like, oh, nope, she's having a moment. Mm." No, you got to get to work. But that has you, you have to have a level of work ethic that allows you to continue to have a successful career. So I hope that for the creator economy, in regards to the creator community, they realize that the power is definitely in their hands if they can move away from just focusing on the dollar. Because if you're doing things for the dollar amount, you're going to end up doing a deal that is not for you, will lock you in for a cute minute, and you're not going to be able to ev- like ever explore other ab- avenues of opportunities. So I'm hoping and I am hopeful the community and the creator economy is going to flourish. I think we're just getting started, honestly. I think, especially within the TikTok community, I'm very like, yeah, I like even for me, I'm like, oh, oh, like I'm hype because it allows me to not feel so, you know, like I, I again, I come from an era where it's like production. I'm thinking like, mm-hmm. you know, lights, camera, TikTok, I could show up in my bonnet and be fine. And people uh, like, can, like what Instagram, YouTube, it's like lights, camera, action. But I even think for those platforms, we're shifting into a more, who are you? Uh, something that's relatable. And it's so refreshing for me who needs to, for someone who honestly always had to be so nitpicky. I'm just taking off my wig on camera. Child. And I don't care no more, okay. And I don't care. And my audience don't care. You know, again, for black women, that was like, you never did those things. Now we don't care. Okay. So I'm excited. I, I definitely see that we're just getting started especially within the Black community and the Black Council creator community, conversations like this will allow it to be pushed forward, to make brands uncomfortable, and to have more of these conversations behind the scenes.
1: Love that. And so Annalise, where do you see?
2: Yeah, I think Monica hit the nail on the head. Yeah, I I think
0: there is a lot of room for growth. And I think what I can see from where I'm sitting is the emphasis on Authenticity and integrity. Like, we are so far beyond the place where people can just put stuff out because someone told them to do it or they got a check to do it. Like, people can see right through this. I remember someone going off on TikTok talking about how this really big TikToker created a co branded product with another company and never even posted about it. And they were like, I'm not buying this. And like, that's where we're at. Like, people can see. Right through some of those things, I think from the br- on the brand side and on the marketing point of view, I think brands and agencies are just going to get smarter my genuine hope is that they start to view creators more as partners and understand and lean and trust on them a bit more versus what it used to be. was like, here's a brief, here's exactly what to say, here's exactly what to hashtag, here's exactly how to film it. Exactly. Like I hope that we move to a place where there is more of that just partnership and working together and creating things together. If I had to say something that I have my eye on, like specifically right now it's live shopping and e-commerce because it's interesting and it's funny because like none of these brands were created as shopping platforms, but that's what's happening because people have so much exposure to new brands, new products, new everything on these platforms. And so what I think is really interesting is what the shopping and buying power that's coming out of these platforms, like people are selling out things at target at their local target because of a 15 second TikTok video. Right. And so it's gonna to come to a reckoning either way. Like I think they said this year that more people search on TikTok than Google. And like I know for a fact, like any brand marketer who's reading that is like, holy shit! Can I curse on this? I know that's what they're thinking. Yes, you can.
1: Please, <laughs> I know we just met, but yeah, you can. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> I, I know that's what they're
0: thinking. I have searched nothing on Google in a I know, like, and so the, if any looking at that information, they're thinking like, oh my gosh, like shopping behaviors are changing. The way people are consuming information is changing on these platforms. And so I think we're going to see a huge emergence of just creators really pushing live shopping forward. And so that's one thing that I definitely have my eye on in the creator economy for sure.
1: Wow. Well, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much, Annalise and Monica. I really appreciate your time and your insight. This has just been... Oh, this has been a good way to spend my afternoon. So thank you for all all the truth and all the insight. Love it. Mm -hmm. That's all for this episode of Creative Control. Make sure you subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And make sure you rate and comment as well, because we always love hearing from you and we really do read the comments. Fast Company podcasts are produced by Avery Miles, Blake Odom, and Matt Toder. Editing and sound design is by Nicholas Torres. Our executive producer is Joshua Christensen. Deputy editor David Litsky provided editorial oversight for this episode, as well as senior VP of entertainment, Scott Meebus.